Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. And the very next day, help began to come in the form of St. Therese. And with St. Therese's help and the help of Carmelite spirituality, I began to form this vision of motherhood that was moment by moment. How do we make friends with the saints? And how do they help us become saints ourselves? Writer, teacher, mother, Lauren Nelson describes the little way on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I will be asking interesting people who have thought a lot about the big questions to share their conclusions and to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format in relationship and dialogue and back and forth may help us approach the truth and to have a really good time doing it. And should you want to take the conversation a step further, I invite you to please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Lauren Nelson. Lauren is a writer, a speaker, a teacher, and a podcaster. She founded Gathering Mana, the gathering of Catholic moms, hoping to glean and gather nourishment, joy, and resources to help them more fully live their vocation as mothers and wives. She created and wrote the curriculum for Merciful Mama, a retreat which is also an online e-course. And she is a co-host on the Catholics and Coffee podcast, a talk show of five Catholic women. She and her husband have three children and two crazy dogs. Lauren, welcome to Almost Good Catholics. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, So uh, please tell us about your faith journey and, and discuss your move from Protestant Christianity to the Catholic Church and perhaps talk about your husband's reasons also. And I just want to say first that it's a world I know pretty well because my wife is a Protestant, and so our family has a foot in each tradition. And to be uh, fair, there, there, are, there are some things that Protestants do very well, right? I love mm-hmm. the small groups and home groups and community groups, and I think we Catholics should steal that idea. Uh, and I, I can understand the appeal of comfy chairs and taking your coffee into the sanctuary and, and the rock music. But, but you, despite all of these draws, chose to convert to Catholicism. Why? I did. And it was after a very, um, I was very involved in the Protestant church. I was very active. I was teaching classes. I was leading Bible studies. I went to a Protestant religious school. I had spent the the majority of my formative Christian, when I say formative, I mean formative Mm -hmm. in the faith and understanding who God is and coming to know him and and learning to hear his voice. All of that took place for me in the Protestant tradition. The reason being is that my aunt, when I was growing, I was actually baptized Catholic, 
But my aunt, when I was about, well, that I can remember, probably five or six, sort of took it upon herself. She was, I would kind of characterize her as my fairy godmother. She (laughs) taught me to recognize the voice of the Lord. She taught me how to spend time with him in scripture from a very young age, beginning at like six and seven years old. She taught me how to memorize scripture. I spent a lot of time at her house in the summers. My mother traveled for work. And so I, my, my deepest formation was in the Protestant church, even though I was baptized Catholic. And that continued up until I was um, graduated college, really. Mm-hmm. And it was during college that I began to hunger for um, something more. I began to wonder about my roots spiritually and who I was, because the things that I was interested in were um, deeper than the things that my that my companions were interested in. I was looking for something more transcendent. I felt that it had to do with Catholicism. I remember as a little girl, always feeling drawn to the church. We would drive by, you know, I didn't do any of my formation in the church, but Mm -hmm. we would drive by Catholic churches. I would try to go to mass whenever I could. I asked my mother to buy me Catholic books that I could read. And so I had always hungered for the church in a way that I didn't really understand. But when I began to again hunger as an adult, I was reading a lot of Catholic authors at my Protestant school in one of my English classes, believe it or not. And um, I really credit that class with opening the door for me to begin to explore that and to wonder if there was a way to be a devout lover of Jesus Mm -hmm. and be Catholic. Mm. And the more I opened that door, the wider it swung. And then eventually it swung so wide I had to let go of the handle and accept (laughs) what was happening to me because I could no longer, after doing lots of research and study and then becoming convinced of the reality of the Eucharist, I could no longer Mm -hmm. assent to a faith that was Protestant. I had to surrender to the church. Um, with my mind and my heart. So that was the journey. And it was a very long journey. How old were you? How old were you at that point? That would have been my junior year in college. Okay. And then so I started the process of just kind of discovering the church and coming home to the church. But then in my 20s, I walked away from all of that. That's another topic for another podcast. (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, But but, I did uh, come back. I did come back around 29 and begin that official process of coming home. Yes. And so um, do do I understand correctly that it's, it's the Eucharist, that this is physically the body and blood? of Christ that is the 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 key the key point because you've observed in your um coffee and catholics podcast that uh, protestants have a beautiful and very personal relationship with Jesus which is achieved through the holy spirit mm-hmm. but they don't have the eucharist yes and my longing for the lord was growing yeah. so deep um and in worship and when we would encounter the presence of the lord in worship um which is incredible and a beautiful thing. I began to hunger for him in a way that went beyond that. And I felt like I was being drawn up to like the edge of a cliff Mm -hmm. and then being told to just, that's it. That's all there is. When I knew that there was something more, does that make sense? I think so. And I didn't know how to grasp it. Is this a cliff going up or a cliff going down? Which, where are you? Well, It's like worship was taking, you know, worship 
to be in the presence of God and worshiping. And this is for listeners who may not be Protestant. That is the height of encountering God and in his presence. And when you are in the midst of his presence among his people like that, his presence is, is very discernible and it's very powerful. But every time I would go to worship, I felt like I was getting to the very top, but that there was something more I was supposed to grasp Hmm. and I couldn't get there. Does that make sense? And so I began to think to myself, what could it be? And right around that time, I started researching Catholicism and the Eucharist. And I realized that was the missing piece. That was the part I was supposed to consume Christ. My heart wanted to consume him. If you listen to the incredible worship music that's out right now, um, especially recently, you hear so many Catholic themes being woven in and out of it because there's a deep understanding within the soul that we are supposed to consume Christ and to be one with him. And while they may not understand what that means, once I became convinced of the Eucharist, I knew exactly what that meant. And once I knew that he was real and present, nothing else mattered anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I could I could handle all the other things that were difficult if I could if I was just convinced of that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. Um, and how about how about your husband? Do you feel you can speak for him? Oh sure. His is um he's approaches I'm sure if you listened before, he and I have very different spiritualities and I, I can't testify to what was the the hammer that um, really just nailed, I guess, nailed it for him. But this is a really funny story, actually. My husband and I knew each other in our Protestant youth group, which we were both extremely involved in in high school. Um, But we were not friends. We didn't run in the same crowd. We had, you know, we were friends of friends and it was a Mm -hmm. smaller group. So we knew of each other, but he was older than me. And I was just this little middle school kid and he was graduating high school. But so we were in the same youth group, but then we reconnected as adults. And both of us, before we reconnected, had been seeking out the church strongly. He said he woke up one day out of nowhere and he heard an audible voice tell him, you need to seek out the Catholic church. Wow. And he has never heard that audible (laughs) voice again. He said, but he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was God. Like there was no, there was no question that that was what he was supposed to do. And so he did. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, you you can't beat that. (laughs) Okay. So if you don't mind, uh, tell us a bit about your life today, your family and your ministries. So we, uh, we are a homeschooling family. And so we spend all of our time together, it feels like, <laughs> most of the time. Um, and we really, I would have to talk about my ministry. I have to, I have to talk about my family because that my ministry grew directly out of the issues and the burdens that came out of my heart as a new mother before um, when I was you know, um, building my relationship with Christ, I would spend hours in prayer and in Bible study and journaling. I was discerning his voice. I was getting to know him. It was incredibly beautiful. But when you're a mother of an infant, particularly one that screams from 6 p.m. to midnight Mm -hmm. every day, as my first daughter did, there was no time for any sort of semblance of that kind of relationship with God. And then when my second son was born, I began to grow very despairing in my faith, not really feeling like I was connected to him anymore. Like I didn't 
know how to reach him. And I knew that I had to find another way. And so my ministry grew out of that because there came a point where I said to the Lord, I, I, I don't know who you are. And if you don't help me know you, I don't know that I can continue on this journey with you because there's no time for me to even know you or know who I am. I'm lost in diapers. I'm lost in Mm -hmm. nursing. There's just, I don't even know how to find you and I desperately need you. And, and, and the next day I, and it was kind of, I talked about this in my other podcast. I said, it was sort of like a fake breakup. Yes. So, you know, how you break up with someone, you kind of hope they say, oh, please don't go. Well, that's kind of how it was. So I was basically daring the Lord to help me in a new way. Teach me how to know you. And the very next day, help began to come in the form of St. Therese. And with St. Therese's help and the help of Carmelite spirituality, I began to form this vision of motherhood that was moment by moment, that was connecting with God in the middle of my day, in the middle of my other tasks, learning how to practice his presence. And that's where my ministry came from, Gathering Mana. Mm-hmm. And we we offer and develop resources and retreats to help mothers learn these tools and techniques. Um, and they're not even really tools and techniques. It's sort of just looking at your way, at your day a different way. Uh, but we have all these different resources that we develop. And so that's what Gathering Mana is. It came out of my desperation as a new mom. And I found a way to turn it into resources for other moms. That's terrific. I really want to ask you about Saint Therese. How do you know yeah. it's her? How, When you talk about Saint Therese, it, it, she is so close to you, so personal. It's a personal relationship with a, with a living person with um, all the characteristics that somebody who lives next door to you yes. would have. And it's not some sort of, you know, vaguely ephemeral, yeah, maybe there was a presence uh, kind of a feeling that I think most people, uh, maybe, I don't know about most people, but many people settle for that. Like, I think there is this, um, in this uh, uh, communion of angels and saints, but you, you, for you, it's very palpable, very concrete. Um, to be a Catholic, you say, is to live in an enchanted world. And yes. what, what I really want to hear is tell us about that enchantment. And how do you know her so well? Well, Therese was the one who showed up that next day after I was on my knees saying, God, I'm leaving. You know, maybe this isn't you. Maybe there's truth somewhere else. Maybe I can find. I just don't know anymore, Lord. Uh, you know, that she showed up the very next day. And the way she showed up was we went to a meeting for my son's baptism. Uh, and in the church that we were going to, there were was one of the kiosks that has booklets and things like that and CDs. And there was this tiny little booklet by Vernon Johnson um, about the little way of spiritual childhood of St. Therese. And I had been attracted to that immediately for, for a reason I could not explain. I knew I was supposed to pick it up and read it. I instantly felt like she had that, that little girl that on that picture had something mm-hmm. to tell me about my little girl. And it was, it was just one of those. And I don't know how to explain how I knew that. I just knew it. And so I started to read because I thought maybe I, it would help me teach her something. I thought that's what we were doing, but the Holy Spirit had a whole other plan. Um, But I began to read it. And what I found inside that little book, inside that incredibly orthodox teaching of Vernon Johnson, and I encourage everyone to get the larger volume that that is um, pulled out of. It was kind of a synthesis of that book, The Spiritual um, Childhood of St. Therese. What I learned in that book 
was how to live and connect with Jesus in the tiny, tiny little things every day, from curbing your irritation to calling out to God when you're upset in the middle of the moment, to taking every little sacrifice, like she says, every little burden, every little difficulty, and and turning it into something that is is that you give back to him it becomes a means of grace another pathway that opens up in your life for grace to pour in grace that you need to survive and that's really what it felt like like i needed to survive and i wasn't i felt like i was just floundering and here is this tiny little girl on the front of this booklet offering me exactly what i had been missing for 4 or 5 years since i'd become a mother a way to connect with God um, that wasn't big and grand. I had little things in my life. I didn't have big giant things. I had little things I could offer, little ways to to show love to him, little ways to feel close to him. And it became this sort of love affair. And she was at the helm teaching me and walking with me. And there's no way to explain in a concrete way how she made herself known. But everywhere I went, there she was in the grocery store, roses along a sidewalk. Um, Mm. Words would jump out of magazines and just, it felt like they were floating in front of me in the air. And I will tell you that I recognized the voice of the Lord the same way in the teachings of St. Therese that I used to when I was a Protestant studying scripture for hours at a time. And that is how I knew that she was real because the pattern of the way that her presence and her help was coming to me. I recognized that from before when I had felt the Lord's presence helping me and aiding me. There was a familiarity that made me know that she was real. And then I began to read more about who is this girl? And then I began to understand the communion of the saints. And that really sealed it for me that she was a living, breathing person with memories, with thoughts, with feelings that she existed in heaven and she cared about me and she knew my name. And, and, she, and she is with us this moment, and yes. she's probably with a thousand other people simultaneously somewhere else on the planet, and she can be everywhere at the same time because she's beyond, you know, her mortal her mortal period. But you yeah. just know this. You just know this in in your bones, in your in your marrow. You you know that's what's going on. Well, because I because I because I benefited from the help. Yeah. I began to understand in a very concrete way in my relationships and my marriage and my relationship with God and with my children began to be full of joy. If I, when I began to follow her little way, her little steps, you know, these yeah. tiny little steps, I began to experience the kind of joy that she promised for the first time in my entire life. Yeah. And so I knew that it was real and I knew that the Lord was in it because I could see evidence of his grace everywhere, changing yeah. me, transforming me. So it's like you have new eyes when this yes. happens. It's um, I, I'll tell you, uh, last last Friday, I was walking my dog on Friday night, and I usually listen to uh, Brooks and Capehart on the PBS NewsHour, and it just wouldn't download. And so I was like, fine, I'll find something else. And I found Coffee and Catholics, and it oh. was the episode where you, where you were talking about all this. And then the next morning, I talked to Heather King. And after that, I was like, you know what? I have to ask. Uh, that lady who I didn't realize, Laura Nelson, I didn't know the name at that time, yeah. but that last Saturday morning, right? Eight days ago, I was like, I have to, I have to write to her. 
And then and then you said, sure. And then I've been since since talking to Heather, I've been listening or reading, but also largely listening to um, the story of a soul just mm. as I'm doing stuff. I'm washing dishes or as I'm collapsing cardboard or as I'm you know moving the yard waste into the green bin, all that sort of thing. I've just got St. Therese and I, you know, I started on chapter one. And then suddenly, like, I didn't push any buttons, but, like, my thing skipped so that I was eight hours and 35 minutes into it. And she's talking about the little way. And I didn't touch a thing, you know? Yeah. And so these are, (laughs) these are, you know, but how do, I don't know. I feel, I feel like, uh, uh, ye of little faith when I say, like, how do I know I'm just not making this up? And I'm not like that guy in the the beautiful mind who just looks at newsprint and sees secret plans that don't exist. Um, I think a lot of people feel that way. And I think that's completely normal to feel yeah. that way. Um, and, and the way that I have countered those sorts of feelings in my life is to say it doesn't even really matter because what is the fruit of what has happened? You're learning and growing closer to the Lord. And she's she you're learning about one of the most important saints in Catholic in the Catholic canon, you know. And she's benefiting you and she's helping you. And she's there's something there that you need. And once it becomes a part of your life, you realize that the Lord is in it the whole time. So for me, the evidence, you know, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> mm-hmm. When my life begins to improve and I see that she that her way is helping me to become the person that I always wanted to become, I know that the Lord is in that the way that I know that he's in anything else that I perceive him in. Here is the part that my iPhone jumped to when I wasn't watching. It's from the last chapter, chapter, A Canticle of Love. How shall I show my love since love proves itself by deeds? Well, the little child will strew flowers. She will embrace the divine throne with her fragrance. She will sing Love's canticle in silvery tones. Yes, my beloved, it is thus my short life shall be spent in thy sight. The only way I have of proving my love is to strew flowers before thee. That is to say, I will let no tiny sacrifice pass, no look, no word. I wish to profit by the smallest actions and to do them for love. I wish to suffer for love's sake and for love's sake even to rejoice. Thus shall I strew flowers." Not one shall I find without scattering its petals before thee. And I will sing, I will sing always, even if my roses must be gathered from amidst thorns, the longer and sharper the thorns, the sweeter shall be my song. Yes. Oh, that's so beautiful. How does, tell us, yeah. One thing that St. Therese gets criticized for sometimes, when when people give her just a quick cursory glance, uh, she gets she appears to be sort of syrupy and saccharine and a little bit overly passionate or overly expressive but what people don't understand is that to know saint therese's life you have to know that before any of that happened she suffered that love that she feels for the lord is hard won and fought for and she battled in her will for him to be the Lord of her life and not her own passions and feelings. So when you hear this beautiful prayer uttered, we tend to, there's, well, it could come across to those who don't know her story as if uh, it's just some sort of sentimental Catholicism or some sort of sentimental love. But for Therese, she very much gathered from among thorns in her life over and over and over again. 
And when she speaks of these things, she speaks with the wisdom of experience. And for those who know her, who have experienced her help, who have called upon her and, and, you know, experienced the help that she, she gives through her little way. Um, we understand that that is how she learned how to say those things because of the suffering that she endured for love of him. And, and some of it, she was sickly, yeah. but some of it, she insisted on, on inflicting on herself. She would sleep on a pallet or mm-hmm. she wouldn't eat. Or she would, you know, she wouldn't sleep. Um, I'm very bad at that. <laughs> I, I always want another cup of coffee or another glass of wine. And, um, uh, mm-hmm. What do you think about that sort of um, mortification of the the flesh? What kind of, I mean, well, outside of Lent, man, it's hard. Well, for her, the, the, the bulk of her suffering and the bulk of her trouble in life came from the losses that she experienced at such an early age. There's a wonderful book by Mark Foley um, talking about the psychology of holiness in her life and the types of things that he looks at her through the lens of a Catholic priest and a psychologist and just gives a really interesting view of how her relationship with the Lord developed. Her father, she characterized him as being extravagantly loving toward her almost too much. And just, you know, he just loved her so much and he called her his little queen. Mm-hmm. And so she, she was very easy for her to relate to the father in that way because her own dad was just very loving and present to her um, as best he could be until he couldn't be anymore. And she was the, the baby of the family, yes. right? That's it. And she continued to have to say goodbye to her mamas, her first mama, who are obviously her biological mother when she was young, but all her sisters, one by one, she had trouble making friends. So there was a lot of loneliness there. Um, And so to, to, to answer your question, mortifications certainly have their place. But Therese would say that the mortifications that mean the most are those interior ones where you don't bite back with that perfect comment when somebody insults you Mm -hmm. or you don't heave that giant irritated sigh when your child asks you for something, but you Mm -hmm. look into their eyes and you say, of course, you know, I would love to do that for you. These are the types of things that actually make saints in today's world out of mothers and fathers, these tiny little mortifications of, of the will and of the mind. And I have, like you have mentioned so far to go in that and I teach (laughs) classes about it. So by no means do I have it figured out, but we definitely have the roadmap here. And so we can begin and begin again each day. Well, that's why this is almost good Catholics. And uh, I've been, I, uh, from what you said um, last last week, I've been saying that that yes, my child, uh, to like what today my nine year old was having a really hard time fitting all his Valentine's cards into the box he prepared, and he's so frustrated. And I was like, yes, my child, I can help you. So it's a wonderful uh, thing. Yeah, you taught me that. But tell me, tell me, tell us a bit more of your of your. Um, program of study what do you recommend that we do as as parents especially parents of little ones or just human beings with frustrating co-workers and and stuff like that yeah um she she's again yeah reading the story of a soul is a really good thing to do that is a great place to start because you you get to know her personality and you get to see all the different ways that she dealt with annoying people in her life and there are so so many books about that very thing related to her I would suggest for for parents starting with, um, well, 
it depends on how much time you have to read. But I will tell you honestly that another beautiful mystic who um, also loved St. Therese's Mother Teresa. And Mother Mm. Teresa, if to read some of her writing and some of the things that she said, some of the talks that she gave to her nuns was incredibly formative to me as a mother and learning how to talk to my own children and how to approach my children when they interrupt me. She had the most, I remember this story from, and I'll never forget it. And I I talk about this in my personal uh, podcast, uh, which we're revamping right now, but I talk about this story. Mother Teresa was praying in a chapel one day and she was very lost in prayer. And this camera guy was going to come and do an interview. And he kept looking at the other nun that was sitting outside of the chapel being like, Hey, I need to talk to her. And she's like, you can go ahead. And he's like, what really in there? She's praying. And she's like, it's okay. And so this guy goes up to her and kneels down next to her and she just stops what she's doing. And she looks at him with the sweetest smile on her face. And the way that he describes it is that she went seamlessly from Jesus in the blessed sacrament to Jesus in me. And then she went right back to prayer when she was done with me. And that as a mother, when we get interrupted, and I'm sure you know, too, that's so frustrating, the constant interruptions um, that are involved in family life. And I asked myself, and I began to study her and research her more because I thought, thought, what else could, and it reminded me of St. Therese. So you could see that influence there, you know? Yeah, and I began to read more about Mother Teresa and the ways that she would relate to her nuns and the way that she would teach them about just basic daily things about how to be interrupted with grace. And I thought, and my prayer was, Lord, and it still is to this day, help me to move seamlessly between what I'm doing with you and what I want to be doing and what I need to do with my children. Help me to, to see Jesus in them. So I really recommend reading mother Teresa, if anything, just getting to know her better, um, as an influence for young moms, especially who deal with frustration and families. And then we have a ton of resources that compile a lot of the writings of a bunch of different saints. The merciful mama e-course is one of those that has a lot of practical helps for someone who just wants to get started and having a more merciful posture toward their children. If they feel like they're getting irritated too much or, you know, because we do have to keep in mind that our children are looking to us to image God to them. And the way that we respond to them is how they will respond to him. So we that's a great burden we yeah. have as parents. So, yeah. yeah. Well, somewhere I saw a quotation from Mother Teresa. It could have been on Facebook. I don't know. But it was some, we don't, we aren't, how did she say? It was something like, um. Oh, we don't love the poor because they are like Jesus. We love the poor because they are Jesus. Yes. And uh, I say that one to my when I in my head when my ninth graders are going nuts because they're they're very they're very lovely but they're also very silly and uh, mm-hmm. just getting used to being in high school and all, up to all kinds of shenanigans all the time. So um, that that I don't even know where it came from or where I saw it, but it that that stuck that stuck with me. Um, uh, one thing I borrowed from you uh, on my la- last one was I, I said like to cheerfully change a diaper. That yeah. can be that can be the little way. And I was talking to a colleague of mine to like to lovingly grade an essay. That could uh-huh. be the little way. What are what are some things that are you know that that can be the little way for us in 2022? Well, um, 
it would be simple and daily things like that. One of the ways that um, I teach moms to draw near to God in their daily life is when they pass a crucifix in their home, Mm -hmm. um, just to stop and perhaps bow or to allow yourself to just gaze um, at the Lord for a few seconds before leaving the room. Your children will see you do that and it will help you to remember why you're doing all of this because it's really easy to get lost um, in the shuffle of things and forget that all of this matters, that every bit of this matters. And the world will tell you that it doesn't matter, that what matters is what's on the screen or what's pulling at you or the person who's emailing you right now. But that is not what matters. What matters is exactly what you just said, the way that you do the dishes, the way that you speak to your child, the way that you try to create memories for them. Um, the way that you bite back the insult that you want to say, the way that you diffuse something that you would rather stir up, you know, those are the things that create saints because most of us aren't living extraordinary lives and we all have to have a means to sanctity. And that means to sanctity is right in front of us every day. Yeah. Yeah. You said you were revamping a podcast. What is it called? Well, we have we have a teaching podcast, um, and it's all it's from Gathering Minutes, a shootout from that, and it's called Only Today. Only Today, okay. And that you can go and find those on Podbean, but we are changing up our uh, the way that we present those right now. We're working on getting them transferred over to a new system and and all that stuff. So that should be up very soon. Um, but on that podcast, um, I have a lot of resources, just audio resources for moms about prayer and marriage and motherhood. And and those are just some of the, te- it's basically just teachings yeah. related All to right. this. Let me ask you a theology question. Uh, you will maybe appreciate it for, because of your um, Protestant background, but how did we Catholics learn all these things that we know, that there is a communion of saints, uh, these revealed mysteries. And how do we know the saints? And how do we know that Mary is queen of heaven and earth? These are not in scripture. uh, So how do we understand the validity of tradition and revelation along with uh, scripture and textual evidence? Well, from the very beginning of the church, uh, it was the the words and the experiences of the apostles, the traditions handed down before there was ever a canon of scripture that would inform later what how we chose and compiled the Bible and what we let what we gathered together. So from the very beginning, starting with our Lord's spoken words to the apostles and their spoken words to each other and to their followers and to their followers, the, the oral tradition and later the written scriptural tradition have always meant to, 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 they have always hinged together. They were never Mm -hmm. meant to be separated. And so the way that we can know these things is simply because well, that's just how we've always done it. Like we understand these things through the experiences of those who have gone before us. And I don't know if I can go much deeper into that without yeah. getting, it that's was just, a, it was always supposed to be that way. Yeah. That's a really good, that's a really good answer. And I'm, I'm going to get some like uh 
professional mariologists to come and explain this better uh, in in the future. One thing I always wonder is like, what did Jesus say in those 40 days where he was back? You know, yeah. They're in the upper room every day and they didn't write any of it down. Like you think like you finally, like everybody knows he's the risen Lord at this point. You think like every single thing he'd say would, but yeah. who knows, you know, and then all the years that um, Mary, the mother of God lived with John, the apostle, like mm. how much he must have learned all of those early nativity things, you know, how that, yes. uh, how, anyway, I suppose that's just a mystery. Um, so finally, Lord Nelson, would you please say a blessing for us and for our listeners and their families? I will. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for every person listening to this podcast that they would have an encounter with you, that you would pursue them in a way that is unmistakable, that you would come to them and reveal your incredibly deep personal love for each person within the sound of my voice right now, that they would begin to understand the beautiful destiny and the plan that you have for them, that they would seek it out, they would be unafraid of unanswered questions, that they would learn that in you, all questions are answered. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 I thank you again for being part of Almost Good Catholics. It has been a great honor, and I wish you a great Feast of St. Valentine for you and your husband. Thank you very much. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you, and hail, hail the Word made flesh, the the son of Mary. Chris and Lauren Nelson recorded this conversation on Sunday, February 13th, the feast of St. Giles Mary of St. Joseph, Franciscan friar and consoler of Naples. Our music is by Josh and Margot of the band The Great Space Coaster. Find their music at www.gscoasterband.com. And our logo, the image of the dog, is from a stained glass window from the Monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos in Spain and is used with the permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website at english.op.org. Thank you for listening to Almost Good Catholics. I'm your host, Chris Rodinitz, and I invite you to email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com with comments or questions or ideas. Talk to you soon. This is Christ the King whom shepherds God and angels sing.